You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Here's Nate. Now as we turn to Proverbs 23, we are, as a reminder, in the midst of a section where there are 30 sayings that began in Proverbs chapter 20. So we pick up our text with the sixth of these 30 sayings. So starting out in verse 1, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Now this is fascinating because here's the father, and remember this is the king speaking, giving advice to his son. And and what he's announcing is, look, if you have appetite, if you're a man that is given to appetite, if, if you love food, then when you're in front of a ruler or an authority, then put a knife to your throat. Because if you don't, then the desire for that man's delicacies are going to get you to commit to things that you should never have committed to. In other words, if you do not pay attention to your appetites and keep them in check, they could lead to your demise and the demise of the people that are in your life. Compromise so often comes through the appetites, and that compromise can so often impact generations of people. And so here, the the proverb is giving this intense wisdom about dealing with and being honest about the appetites that chase down our souls. Now, the beautiful reality of this is that God understands where those desires, where those appetites come from. Jesus announced when he arrived that, look, all of these things, adulteries and murders and dissensions, they come not from outside of us, but from within, from the heart. He would say things like in Matthew chapter 5 that we ought to, if, if, for instance, if a man sees a woman and lusts for her in his heart, then he should, you know, for him it is sin. It's just as if he committed a sin with that woman. And then he went on to say, if your eye or your hand or your foot causes you to sin, you should pluck it out or chop it off. Now, of course, the reality is, Number one, that was hyperbole from Christ, that we should deal swiftly and severely with the appetites that we are prone to. But also the understanding is that a hand or a foot or an eye never really caused the sin. They may have been instruments that we use to sin, but the cause of the sin comes from the heart. Now, this sounds horrible until we understand that this is part of the reason that Christ came. He came to deal with the hearts of humanity. He came to change us from the inside out. And so here we are learning that we should be in tune with what those appetites are so that the Lord can change us, so that the Lord can redeem us, so that the Lord can transform us. Now, the seventh saying is found in verse 4. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. 
Now, there are many sayings about riches in this book, but this one is unique in that it it warns directly against the riches themselves and on the basis of wisdom. And that's fascinating because so often within the Proverbs, riches are even held out as a blessing from God. But here, there's a warning. Don't toil for the wealth. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. It sprouts wings and it flies like an eagle toward heaven. In other words, wealth acquisition can become for a person an all-consuming fire. Uh, better is the attitude of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8 to 10. If we have food and clothing, Paul said, with these we shall be content. Those who desire to, f- to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So we have to understand that. This pursuit, this desire can get us into grave danger, real trouble. We must watch for it because the reality is so often it flies away. Saying number eight is found in verse six. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Here, in a humorous way, he's saying, it is a mistake to accept hospitality from a stingy person. The reality is, it feels horrible in the end. What we want is we want those who help us to actually want to help us. This is what makes the cross all the more beautiful because God gives us his help in the form of his son, yet he wanted to do it. He did not begrudgingly send us Jesus, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He he was not a stingy God who said, come and be saved, but inwardly in his heart was upset with us for the sending of his son. No, he was glad to do it. Saying number nine is found in verse nine. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. It is a waste of words to speak to a fool, is what this proverb is saying. Uh, This reminds us of the words of Jesus in uh, his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. He warned there that we should not give what is holy to the dogs or throw our pearls before swine lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. There, There is a moment where you do need to be silent and say, I'm no longer going to engage in this argument. I'm no longer going to try to persuade this person. Here, the way of saying it in Proverbs is, don't speak in the hearing of, of a fool. He's just not going to receive your good sense of your words. Number 10, verse 10, do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless for their redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. Now, this is reminiscent of saying number four back in chapter 22, verse 28. But here we have a fuller explanation. The idea here is that there is this kinsman redeemer, God, 
who safeguards the inheritance of the poor. Now, this is powerful. In Christ, God becomes your powerful relative. He becomes your kinsman redeemer. The phrase in the Old Testament was your goel, your kinsman redeemer. God becomes that for you. He becomes your father in heaven, your redeemer, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Savior. He is pleading your cause. He is watching over your life. Saying number 11 is found in verse 12. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. This is important for fruitfulness, especially in our fast-paced, ever-changing world. To make sure that you're applying your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. You see, it's very easy to, to fritter away life being entertained or merely listening and learning to things that are fun or distracting for us to consume. We might watch a lot of television. We might listen to a lot of entertainment and a lot of music and all of that. And there's a time and a place for those things. They can actually be restorative in nature. But there is also a great truth here that we must apply our hearts to instruction. We must allow ourselves to continue to learn. There's that timeless phrase, leaders are readers. And I think in a sense, you could say that readers become leaders as they acquire information, as they apply their heart to instruction and their ear to words of knowledge, they become more equipped and eventually God begins opening doors for them and they begin to be thrust into positions of leadership. I'd encourage you to make learning and instruction, especially concerning the things of God, a regular part of your life. Try to find some of those consistent, protected slots in your weekly uh, flow and schedule where you can read, where you can listen, uh, where you can grow in your understanding of God's Word. And of course, my heart and desire is that these teachings would be helpful to you to that end or degree. Saying number 12 is found in verse 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol or from hell. To say here in this proverb, he will not die, is to say he will be saved from death. The child will be saved from death through discipline. I I don't think that what the proverb is saying is, look, if you strike your child with a rod in discipline, don't worry. It's not going to kill him. He's not going to die. I think what's being said here is a child, a person who is on their way to evil, if you don't give them discipline, they are on their way to death. So give them discipline. Even the discipline of the rod can be useful in protecting them, preserving them from the death that they are heading towards. So it's important for parents to figure out how are we going to discipline our children? How can we consistently discipline our children and be faithful to do so? There's nothing worse than the empty words of discipline. If you do that one more time, I am going to. But instead, to just lovingly, gently, yet faithfully keep your word in disciplining your children. Saying number 13 is found in verse 15. 
My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. You know, one life motivation that is being held out here that we ought to revitalize is the pleasing of our parents. I think part of the reason why this is not a really a big deal for a lot of people is because in general, you know, as time has gone on in our culture and society, the role of the parent has decreased. Uh, Many organizations and institutions have stepped in to try to be part of the and, and, and assume part of the role of the parent. And sometimes they do so out of necessity. Additionally, the breakdown of marriages has led to quite often a breakdown in the voice of the parents for their children. And because of this, there are generations of people who, even if their parents were together, they're not growing up in a culture or a society that is valuing highly the pleasing of their parents in the way that they make their life decisions. And here, this 13th saying, the father is saying to the son, look, if you're wise, I'll be glad. I'm going to rejoice in my innermost being when your lips speak what is right. So I think on one hand, a proverb like this could help us try to revitalize that concept, a desire to be well-pleasing to our parents. But additionally, we could say that maybe a way we need to redeem a verse like this or a truth like this is by saying we want to be pleasing to our spiritual parents. John said in his third letter, fourth verse, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So, you know, there are times where maybe your earthly parents, you just cannot please them. Maybe it's impossible. Maybe they're not around. Maybe they're just not part of your life. But the reality is, if we can look to spiritual parents, mentors in our lives, and say, what is the way that I should walk in? And as they speak to us, it is delighting for them as we obey, as we listen to the word of God. Saying number 14 in verse 17 says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Here, what we're learning is that we must change our motivation from the world of sinners, which is being held out here as undeniably attractive. Let not your heart envy sinners. There's going to be this thing within us that says, man, that is attractive. That is interesting. That is exciting or exhilarating. But instead, we should shift our motivation from looking to them to looking to God, the future with God. That's what he's saying. Continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Uh, In the New Testament, Paul said it this way, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. And so again, the motivation of uh, pleasing the Lord and the future that we have in and with him. In verse 19, we have our 15th 
saying when he says, Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Now here, this is interesting because he's going after drunkards, but he attaches gluttons to the drunkard. It's not the first time that we've seen either in the Proverbs, but to see them together is interesting because it tells us that temperance is about more than alcohol, but also appetites. Uh, This might have been the basis or the verse that was being used as an accusation against Jesus, that that he was a glutton and a wine-bibber is what they said there. I think that's the King James uh, phraseology of it. But both drunkenness and gluttony are societal ills, if we really think about it. Now, we tend to focus on drunkenness, but overeating and gluttony leads to significant societal problems also. And what what we're seeing there is a desire of humanity so often to self-medicate, to distract, and to appease the flesh. But Christ can help with appetite control. Now, in verse 22, he goes on to get to our 16th saying, Listen to your father who gave you life, he says, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. Uh, Here, what we're hearing is that to heed parental instruction and advice is once again encouraged. Uh, This is repeated often in the Proverbs. It's really not a surprise to us because it is, after all, written mostly from a parent to a child, from a father often to a son. But part of the reason why this is so important is because of a child's tendency to choose and to go their own way. Here, the son is being told to listen to their father who gave them life, to their mother when she is old, but to buy the truth and do not sell it. This suggests spending whatever energy or financial resources are necessary to acquire the truth. I remember when I was in Bible college years ago, I had a teacher who just told this very young group of students, he said, look, you guys should immediately start a book account. You should set aside a certain amount of money for the purchase, for the acquisition of books. You should begin to build your library. And that really stood out to me as as something that made sense. If I really wanted to grow, I was going to have to learn. And in order to learn, one medium that's been used in our society for many years now is the writing of books. And so I should acquire books that I could read and grow in my understanding and knowledge. Saying number 17, verse 26, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit. An adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Now, here the father again goes back to these off-limits women for his son. Uh, Whether a prostitute, number one, or an adulteress, number two, 
Both of them are a danger to the son that he is writing to. Now, I already talked about the Matthew five twenty-eight to 30 passage where Jesus talked to us about severity with dealing with the lust that's within the human heart. And the reality is that in the age that we're living in, pornography is a major issue. I, I believe that so often it is the secret killer in our churches. Yeah, we can preach all day long. We can have our programs all day long. We can say that we want to follow the Lord all day long. But if the men and women in our fellowships are succumbing to, enslaved by, secretly and quietly, pornography, it is stealing, it is zapping our power. It's taking from us the strength that should be ours in the Holy Spirit. So what do we do, you know, about this reality? Because the truth of the matter is that pornography has for many years now become more and more pervasive. It's become more and more widespread. And as time goes on and as new technologies develop, pornographers will be at the front of the usage of those technologies. And so as screens and devices proliferate, so will pornography. As long as there is a medium to use it, uh, it will be you know, spread in an ever-increasing kind of way. So what are we to do about that? I mean, there's no turning back the clock. We're not going to somehow find ourselves waking up in some kind of society where all of these devices no longer work. No, it's going to be pervasive. So what do we do? I think a huge answer to that question is that we must, in our churches, cultivate a culture and environment of safety where people are able to confess their sin, uh, where they are able to address it and get the help that they need. Because as long as it's in the dark, there is a power, there is a bond that is placed upon a human heart. But if it can be brought into the light, uh, so often the help, the accountability, just the forgiveness and light that comes in helps a man or a woman begin to climb out of that, to walk away from it. You know, there are times, of course, where it is just this enslaving kind of thing where a person is really devolving. But so often as well, what there is is just this struggle where a person is quietly, privately, silently trying to get victory, but they cannot. And so often what they need is the help of someone else or the help of just being brought into the light. And so here, uh, this father is speaking to his son, and we should speak to others and say, look, there is danger out there. We want to help you come out of it. Now, the 18th saying leads us to the final and last verses of chapter 23. So let's close out our time together with verse 29 Uh, to the end of the chapter, the 18th and final saying, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eye? Those who tarry long over the wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart utter perverse things. 
you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Now, this is a very long section that we just read, verse 29 to 35. It is a long warning about excessive drinking. Uh, It's those who tarry long, verse 30, over the wine. In other words, one should avoid the temptation to excessive drink, for it leads to trouble because of the doling of the senses. And the writer gives a vivid picture of the one who drinks too much. You know, they lose all sense of reality. Look, the truth of the matter is, and I think we all know this and understand this, sin is so much easier to slip into when you commit the sin of intoxication. Once you go there, it's so much easier to lose your inhibitions. For all that's in the world, 1 John 2.16, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And when you are intoxicated, all of those are easier to get into. The pride of life, the bragging, the the covetousness, the, the lustfulness, the greed, it's so much easier to rush towards when you are inebriated. But Christians, like Christ, do not want to numb the pain, at least not that way. We want to go through the pain with the Lord. The Spirit will be the one to numb the pain. We, are, we desire not to be drunk with wine, but, but to be filled, as Paul said in Ephesians 5, with the Holy Spirit. So here is a strong warning to help us understand, look, alcohol and an overconsumption of alcohol is going to merely lead a person to pain. You know, we've got to really watch out for this because this is a massive area of pain and sin and hurt in our society. I dare say there's probably not even one person listening to this teaching who has not yet in some way been negatively impacted by the overconsumption of alcohol, excessive drinking. I mean, the reality is even if you somehow miraculously didn't know someone personally who had hurt your life due to their drunkenness, the truth of the matter is that society in general is not as productive, loving, kind as it could be and is filled with unwanted pregnancies and STDs in a stronger and greater way because of drunkenness, inebriation, intoxication. So even if you don't know someone personally that has hurt you in this way, you're living in a culture and society that is not all that it could be because of the abuse of substance. And so the proverb is giving a truth and a word of wisdom that has stood the test of time. Let us consume it to bring it into our hearts. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.